Acts chapter 10, verse 9. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Our second reading is from the book of, uh, sorry, the letter to the Romans, chapter 9, and we are reading verses 1 to 5. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it by the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people, my kindred, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from them, according to the flesh, comes the Messiah, who is over all, God-blessed forever. Amen. In this passage, we hear the anguish that Paul has looking at his brothers and sisters, his Jewish brothers and sisters, and seeing them not understanding, not comprehending who Christ is and the Messiah. He says he almost wishes he could be cut off from that for the sake of them. Yes, God is doing a new thing, but he doesn't want to disregard the old and throw it out. He yearns for them to be part of this new thing because it's from them that this new thing was born. You can't read a passage like that without being painfully aware of the current political and world stage kind of environment right now. The levels of debate around Israel and Palestine, Jews, Muslim, Christians, faith. It's on the news, it's in our media, it's in a discussion down the pub. And it's this fraught conversation that if you oppose the government, does that make you anti-Semitic? And are you criticizing because you're anti-Semitic or are you anti-Semitic because you're criticizing? And as soon as you start this conversation, you go round in this circle 
I don't know about you, but it makes me want to just give up and walk away. Yet the circle of violence continues. The world has, it feels today as if it has an intolerance towards anyone who holds a different opinion. And we're seeing this political correctness gone mad, kind of, and virtue signaling and and all this um, pushback against inclusion and openness. You've got identity politics. You're seeing stuff happening in America with the alt-right. And racism is on the rise. And it feels as if people have, a, have permission now to be Islamophobic or anti-Semitic. And anti-Semitism has been described as the longest hatred. I did some research and it looks at like six historical stages. So you have this pre-Christian anti-Judaism happening that's primarily ethnic in its nature. Then you have the Christian Christian anti-Semitism in the Middle Ages. There is Muslim anti-Semitism, political, social, economic anti-Semitism in the Enlightenment, racial anti-Semitism with Nazism. And then this contemporary anti-Semitism now. And anti-Zionism. How do you have these conversations without people's backs going up? How do you have a passage like this without first being aware and accepting the world that we live in right now? Because if we don't, what we become in danger of is reading into the text, meaning that isn't there, or just ignoring it completely because it's too difficult and too painful to touch. Yet the book of Romans is Paul's desire to see his Jewish brothers and sisters come be part of this new faith, this new covenant. It's his desire to see equality between the new converts of the Gentiles and the new converts of the, of the old faith. The whole book is broken up in this wave So the the first part in Romans 1 to 3 are about putting Jews and Gentiles on the same level. They have the same level of need. They both need Christ. The second part from Romans 3 to 4 is about announcing this new way of being, this new way of moving forward. Jew and Gentile together. In Romans 5 to 6, he wants us all to unite around this common story. 
around baptism, the new covenant. And then in seven to eight, we see this common struggle coming to a common victory. A common community, one under Christ. And then we come to our passage this morning. And you hear his pain and his heartache. God is God of all. But people don't know it. And they don't understand it. And if we keep bickering amongst ourselves about who is in and who is out, then they are never going to know. From 12 to 14, he is calling us all to engage in a common life and mission. To come into unity, into this kingdom of God that Christ promises. He's wrestling with the problem of how the Jews and the Gentiles, with all their diversity and years of separation, how are we going to come together as peers, as family? How do we maintain our distinctiveness? And the things that make us unique and beautiful. He praises the, the patriarchs and the traditions that he's come from. On the one hand, he wants the, the Jewish people to be able to hold on to that, to hold on to that tradition that God gave them. He doesn't want to deny that God chose them, that they were elect. But he says that election goes further. It goes to all people. And so he starts to call out the pride that is in both these groups. Where they look at each other and think, you've got it wrong, but we're right. The Jewish looking at the new Christians saying, you're not following the old rules, so therefore you're not really in. And the new Christians going, yeah, but you, you've been getting it wrong for centuries. We're the new covenant. It's with us. God is doing a new thing with us. And Paul has lived in this switch. He's lived out this change of moving from the old to the new. He stands straddling both camps, trying to hold the two together. You know, I think most sin comes down to idolatry of some form or another. Tom Wright talks about the anti-idolatry. The idolatry of being so without idolatry. Like, I'm above this. 
I don't have any idols, that you end up idealizing how good you are and how without idols you are. And this is what he's saying that the Jewish people are doing at the time. So the typical devout Jew is making an idol of their devotion. And we see the separation that was there in the early church. And we hear those early church writers talking about it. And then we have seen centuries of history of where we just keep getting it wrong. I talked about the great persecution of the Jews over the centuries. That is the manifestation of us getting it wrong again and again and again. And having our own anti-idolatry. Our own view of what it is to be right, to be Christian. And we do the thing that I was warning us against at the beginning about reading into text and reading meaning into things. How do we open ourselves to be inclusive, to love? To include the one that sees things differently to us. Because I don't believe that Paul is advocating an anything goes gospel. Because all we end up then doing is creating a God in our own image of things that we're comfortable with. And neither can I accept the idea that all beliefs are equal. Because they aren't. Some beliefs and lifestyles are harmful to individuals that hold them and to those around them. So what does Paul want us to do? He wants us to affirm that God chose the Jews and that's not been undone. And that he equipped them to be messengers to this world but also that Jesus is the Messiah and that he came from the Jews and those two things are intrinsically linked. We cannot let go of one and hold on to the other. We have to hold both. We have to have the love and the openness We have to break down those barriers and those walls. And not accept the violence. And not have judgment over another sin. As Christians, we fall into this trap so often. I remember when I was younger... And I was talking about wanting to go into this kind of ministry that 
reached out to the those on the margins and that my intention was to show the gospel through my actions and through what I was doing. And I was challenged by someone who was close to me and saying, well, surely if you win their soul, then that's the best thing. That's the only thing you need to do because if they have Jesus, then that's the only thing that matters. And then that becomes... You have to accept my Jesus, my expectation, my understanding of what it is to be Christian. You have to do things my way. You have to behave as I see fit. You have to get them to stop what they're doing and start what I'm doing. And so we fall into the trap of this idolatry of judgment over another sin. The idol of my judgment is that my understanding of what is right and what is, what is wrong is better than yours. I'm sure we all know the story that Jesus tells in Matthew. Do not judge or you will be judged. For with the same judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, you will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but fail to notice the beam in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, while there's still a plank in your own, you hypocrite? First take the beam out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's. How often do we have the plank or the beam of this idolatry of judgment in our own eye? That person's sin keeps them out. Paul says it himself in Romans. Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you judge are doing the very same things you say. We know God's judgment on those who do such things in accordance with the truth. I know what you're doing wrong. I have a better way. I have the answer. Say this prayer. Get involved in this program. Do this thing. This will make it all okay. And so we come to our first reading. Acts 10. Now Peter has this trippy dream about a blanket coming down with a load of food. And I'm going to put aside the ethics of vegetarianism for one morning and use this as a metaphor that it was meant to be. This happens before Peter ends up going to a Gentile's house. Peter the Jew, who has seen Christ, who has experienced his salvation and seen the resurrection and all of that that has committed and 
has come out the other side of the cops crowing and said that he loved Christ and is now well and truly into planting the new church, except that he's still keeping the boundaries of who is in and who is out. You guys are in because you're Jewish, and that's okay. You guys are out because you're Gentiles. And then he has this dream. Or a nightmare of unkosher foods. And then he goes to Cornelius' house. And God has said to him, don't call profane what I have made clean. Don't judge what you think is unclean because actually you're wrong. To go to a Gentile's house, Peter was not supposed to do that. It would have meant that he became unclean to do that. It would have meant by Jewish tradition and standards that he had to go and do a whole set of rituals to to make himself clean again. But God was creating a new culture. that redeems all. Our Jewish brothers and sisters were the elect. They were called, given a covenant through Abraham, but it was always for everyone. And then Christ comes through them, the new Adam, the hope, the life, the resurrection. And those boundaries just fall away. Yet we put them back up again, don't we? How do we love better? I am assured of God's love for me. I am assured of it. Whatever day I'm having, whatever week I'm having, whatever I've done, whoever I've argued with, I am assured of God's love and that his love was predestined for me. But that doesn't mean that some of us are in and some of us are out. God's love was predestined for all. So how do we love better? How do we show that love? How do we show that predestined love to all of creation, to all of humanity? How do we live out God's blessing? We've been listening for the last few weeks with Simon about how to do charity better, how to live out our actions in a positive way that helps people move forward. And I think that that's fantastic, yet we also need to challenge the systems that abuse and hold others down. Like we heard from Jean earlier. 
the oppressive systems that hold people down. And it's those systemic changes that we need to challenge as well. But it's more than actions, more than these big things, these big gestures. How do we love our neighbor better? How do we love ourselves better? And I'm inspired by God's faithfulness. Because how does God respond when others are unfaithful? His faithfulness is faithful. It doesn't change. It's there. It's loving. It's forgiving. It's for everyone. I don't know what it looks like in your life to love better. I don't know who it is you need to reach out to or what it is you need to do within yourself to love yourself better. That needs to come from your introspection and your time alone and your time with friends and your time with God. And it has to come from honest discourse with him. But I know what it looks like. I know it looks like welcoming the Jew, the Christian, the Palestinian, the Israeli, the American, the Mexican, the Hispanic, the European, the black, the white, the male, the female, gay, straight, bi, trans. It means welcoming the human. And not a begrudging welcome but a genuine one. And it's okay. Well, it's not okay, but it's understandable that we will mess up and we'll get it wrong because we're getting it wrong for centuries. But God's faithfulness is still faithful. He still loves us. He's still calling us to go and love others. His love is still predestined for all. Just remember that if you cut people out of the gospel, then actually you're cutting yourself out from God's intention. To be human is to be included in God's covenant. To carry the image of God is to be included. But it's when we create God in our own image that we exclude. Let's pray and ask God to help us this week. Lord, we confess to you the ways in which we have excluded others. That we have looked at their life and thought that they are not good enough. Teach us to love better. Help us to love better. Give us opportunities this week for the big and the small.
Help us to write those letters that challenge whilst loving the person that drives us up the wall. And help us to love ourselves better. To see your image of God in us. Amen.